Welcome to Dig Life Deep with John Aiden Byrne. Who has the upper hand in this marketplace, Tim? I, I think this is certainly an employee's you know, market. Uh, based upon the last, I think, uh, you know, Labor Department report I looked at, there were over 11 million you know, o- open jobs. So, so you do have this intense competition going on you know, at pretty much all levels. Uh, employers are having to pay more. They're also accelerating, you know, their hiring processes, you know, so that they can get to the point where they can extend an offer to someone more quickly. American workers have the upper hand in this U.S. economy. They can come and go and change jobs at a whim. That's according to Tim Rowley, who you just heard talking to me about the labor markets in America. Tim is the CTO of PeopleCaddy. It's a technology company that operates a platform that fits and matches up employers with professional contractors. Tim is my guest coming up in a wee moment and he will talk to me about what the market looks like for workers, the surge in the gig economy for independent contractors, freelancers, temporary workers and contract firm workers and we will examine the future of working from home. We keep digging for the secrets and stories of uncommon and everyday things and interesting people. Hello, and I hope you're all well. Many of you, like our household here, will be celebrating the Easter holidays and attending religious services. And of course, there's going to be all those egg hunts. That's a lot of fun. Let's keep the Ukraine and all the troubled spots of the world and here at home in the US in our prayers. My guest coming up is Tim Rowley. Tim is the Chief Technology Officer of PeopleCaddy, an electronic platform for connecting employers with professional workers. We'll talk about the promising jobs market, the massive gig economy, the labor markets, and even the evolution of modern American banking. Tim previously served as the SVP, the Senior Vice President of E-Commerce Marketing at Bank of America, where he tripled online banking users, taking them from 5 to 15 million online users. I want to remind you of a great new podcast out there. It's called Odeon Capital Conversations with Dick Beauvais, Chief Financial Strategist at Odeon Capital Group, and Matt Van Alstein, Odeon Co-Founder and Managing Partner. And it's hosted by yours truly. The podcast covers all things money and markets. Episode 12 just dropped and you won't want to miss it. It's called Odeon Capital Conversations. It's available on Apple, Spotify and all the good platforms out there. I'm your host, John Aiden Byrne. Did you receive a call or message that mentioned social security and demanded immediate action? Did the caller know your social security number or other personal information and tell you that your social security number had been used in connection with the crime? Did you feel worried that your social security number might be suspended, your bank account might be frozen or seized, or you could be arrested? That is not the Social Security Administration. Social Security will not threaten you, demand your personal information, or instant payment. 
email or text you pictures or documents, or use a real government official's name to gain your trust. Social Security does not accept payments by gift card, prepaid debit card, internet currency, or by mailing cash. Criminals use these forms of payment because they are hard to trace. Do not be fooled. Hang up. Ignore them. Report this criminal activity to the Social Security Administration Office of the Inspector General at oig.ssa.gov. Produced at U.S. taxpayer expense. My guest is Tim Rowley of People Caddy, and we're talking about jobs and his company, which runs an electronic platform that matches up employers with professional workers. I'm your host, John Aidan Byrne. Tim Raleigh, welcome to my show. Thank you. We've had some job experts, labor experts, and those in the know about the economy on my show from time to time. Most recently, Ira Wolf, and he was talking about the job and labor trends currently, and he had an interesting take on things. We were talking about the most in-demand jobs and then the fastest growing jobs the in-demand jobs are in services, retail, fast food. A lot of them pay minimum wage. And, they, and there's nothing wrong with that, of course, but it doesn't suit maybe somebody who's trying to propel themselves into the ranks of the middle class, but great jobs for students and those starting out. And then he was talking about the uh, fastest growing jobs were in the IT sector, high tech, engineering kind of jobs. How do you see the market out there, labor markets? Our, our company, you know, at, at People Caddy, we focus exclusively on um, highly skilled professional contractors. Uh, so we don't really serve what I would call the blue collar, more lower wage segment of the market. Mm-hmm. You know, we focus exclusively on the the higher wage you know, levels. Uh, I, I would concur with quite a bit of what Ira asserted there. You know, IT. Is a place that we've seen booming demand. Uh, we we think that demand was largely in place, you know, prior to the pandemic, and the pandemic has just functioned as an accelerant, you know, for most of those companies because they've enabled this remote economy that we've been forced, you know, to operate in, you know, over the last couple of years here. And then we've all these um, terms have come into vogue the great resignation, workers quitting their jobs, and where did they end up? Apparently, some of them end up you know, in another job. What caused all this great resignation? What, what I've found is that it's a, a plurality you know, of factors, but at, at the very highest level, you know, I, I believe that people are often uh, only as loyal as their opportunities, you know, and the, the strong economic recovery you know, uh, combined with the labor shortage has precipitated uh, a boatload of opportunities. And and, and a lot of people are just taking advantage of those. And and I'll expound a bit. You know, there was a period of time, you know, during the early part of the pandemic, you know, where the labor market was, was virtually closed. You know, companies were laying off, right? They weren't hiring. And, And when things began to open back up, you, know, you also had a lot of pent up demand, right? Because people who were unhappy in their current situations were largely forced to stay put, 
you know, up until the market uh, opened back up again. So I do think we see, you know, the impact of that pent up demand, uh, but also people are looking around and saying, you know, there are a plethora of opportunities and they realize that the fastest way to get a pay increase is to transition from job A, you know, to job B, rather than staying put in the job that you're currently in. I think there was a lot of dislocation during the height of the pandemic. Um, a lot of the retail sector just shut down completely. Restaurants, yes. fast food, and maybe some companies, um, not necessarily in the high tech area, they seem to have boomed, but in other sectors. And then there was a mass of people, boomers, who I think just retired early. I think there was some of that going on too. I mean, that, that's a huge factor that I don't think really gets enough attention, right? If, if you look at, you know, the, the respective, you know, generations, you know, the boomers, you know, are, are by far the largest amongst them, you know, and they are increasingly getting to retirement age. And as those people retire, you know, there simply aren't enough younger workers to replace them. You know, so I think that's a contributing factor uh, to the, the shortfall in labor you know, that we're seeing as well. In some ways, uh, as I said to Ira Wolf, it's the best of times and the worst of times, best of times for a lot of employees who want to transition into another job, a better paying job. Worst of times in that uh, a lot of employers find it hard to find workers. Uh, how do you see the hiring markets? I mean, employers are certainly struggling. Uh, like I said, there's intense, you know, competition, yeah. you know, for for employees. Um, what we are seeing at People Caddy, we have a, a large number of clients that are coming to us, trying to hire recruiters, you know, on a contract basis. You know, if you're trying to hire more people, you need more recruiters. And in addition to that, you know, a lot of companies that in the past have not leveraged you know, contract or contingent labor, you know, are beginning to do that now because they just can't find enough people in the permanent employee pool uh, to fill all the vacancies that they have. So contract labor is growing? Contract labor is, is growing, you know, dramatically. Uh, I'm not sure how much you've kept up with the quote unquote gig economy. Yeah. Uh, but by some measures, roughly 30 to 40% of all U.S. adults are participating in some capacity, you know, in this gig economy, right? And if you have a significant chunk of your labor force, you know, that's in the gig economy and you're relegating yourself only to the remainder of the traditional perm employee pool, you're going to have an increasingly challenging time finding all the resources that you need. So those companies are being forced, you know, to leverage the gig economy or that contract. Uh, labor pool as well. So the gig economy uh, accounts for some 40% of the uh, workers out there in some way directly or indirectly attached to it. They could have full-time jobs, some of these, but have gigs on the side? Yes. So some of them are part-time, you know, gig economy participants. Uh, but you do have, you know, those people who are full-time, you know, gig economy participants. I mean, economy participants. If you think about, you know, Uber and DoorDash, you know, lots of the Amazon warehouse workers, you know, a lot of them are, you know, pretty much independent contractors and not traditional permanent employees. So they are technically a part of the 
uh, gig economy as well. You hear different um, stories about the gig economy and that statistic is interesting, the 40%. Is it a good economy in the sense that anybody who participates in it can have a good standard of living or is it a mixed picture? I think of the gig economy that, oh, you may not have health benefits, you may not have vacation pay. If things dry up, you have nothing to fall back on. You've no, I don't know, you've no network. Uh, there, there are some increased you know, risk, and, and it certainly depends upon which segment of the gig economy you are participating in. And now for the highly skilled employees that we work with, you know, we've seen robust demand, you know, where these uh, employees are are getting paid more, you know, than the traditional permanent employees that are working alongside them because yeah. they're being compensated for the benefits that they're not receiving for the, from the company. They're being compensated for the additional risk, you know, right. that they are assuming as well. So if they can find uh, gigs consistently, you know, that is the path for them having greater flexibility and making more money, you know, than their traditional perm counterparts. The gig economy attracts all kinds of workers, professional, right. highly skilled, um, contractors, vocational kind of workers who work with their hands, let's say. So is it a mixed picture? It, it is a mixed picture. Uh, we work with quite a few you know, large professional services firms. And uh, I say on average, you know, these contractors are making you know, $75 you know, or so per hour, you know, and, and up. Mm -hmm. you know, so these are highly, you know, compensated employees, you know, they can, you know, work intensely. for let's say, a, you know, a six month period of time, and in some cases, you know, make enough money to afford to take, you know, two or three months off, and yeah. then they could come back and they can work another gig. And, and some people, you know, enjoy that lifestyle. Yeah, take the summer off. People in the legal professions, Wall Street, finance, all architects, of all of those are in the gig economy. All of the above. Engineers, you know, architects, IT professionals, bankers, auditors, accountants. I mean, those are the job titles that we work with most frequently. Do you get the sense, Tim, that some employers like hiring from the gig economy in the sense that they can keep sort of arm's length and they don't have a lot of the HR issues that come by bringing people on staff? Yeah, um, I, I think the, the nature of the work kind of also dictates whether or not hiring an independent contractor is more optimal than, than making a long-term commitment, you know, to a traditional firm employee. For example, I know I have a project that's going to last for, you know, nine months. Mm -hmm. And if I can hire somebody for that nine month period of time, you know, that labor is kind of a variable expense, you know, mm -hmm. that's correct, connected directly to that project, you know, versus again, me making a long-term commitment to someone. And at the end of that project, now, having to scramble to find something else for them to to do, or even possibly having to, you know, terminate someone because I no longer have the use for them, you know, and, and kind of creating a lot of ill will as a function. Yeah, of doing that. yeah, it becomes a, a challenge, I'm sure, for employers. And uh, as you said, they might have a nine month contract or a nine month period of work, and at the end of, of that period, if they're on staff, then you're figuring out. How do I keep that employee busy? The company may not grow fast enough to do that. So I guess there's some pluses and minus 
Who has the upper hand in this marketplace, Tim? I, I think this is certainly an employee's you know, market. Uh, based upon the last, I think, uh, you know, Labor Department report I looked at, there were over 11 million you know, o- open jobs. So, so you do have this intense competition going on you know, at pretty much all levels. Uh, employers are having to pay more. They're also accelerating, you know, their hiring processes, you know, so that they can get to the point where they can extend an offer to someone more quickly. And they're enhancing, you know, benefits, you know, for those employees too. So I, I certainly think this is a period of time where the employees, you know, have have more leverage. What about the working from home phenomena? More and more people were working from home during the pandemic, and now it's sort of the bosses want employees back in the office although that's kind of there's a bit of a shake out there I, I i think there's going to be a work from home culture going forward i don't think that's gone away but it's it's going to change a little from the pandemic heights how do you see it uh, I, I certainly feel that there's a, a transition you know back to the office environment that's afoot uh, you've had a, a few companies that have been Kind of been the vanguard in in terms of driving that. I know recently Goldman Sachs, you know, attempted to get their employees to come back, you know, to the office. I believe the CEO even mandated it, you know, but only about half of the employees, you know, showed up. You know, so yeah. if Goldman, you know, premier employer of that nature, is having challenges getting people uh, to come back, other employees. I mean, excuse me, employers are going to have challenges as well, uh, particularly when employees have so many employment options available to them. So I, I think in the short term, you are going to see, you know, these hybrid, you know, or remote work arrangements, you know, remain, you know, and they will gradually dissipate over time. Uh, there was a, a study done by a Stanford professor, you know, somewhat recently uh, where he attempted to quantify the value of that hybrid work option. And, and based upon his analysis, that was worth roughly 10 percent you know, of the employee's pay. You know, so if it's something that an employer can do that's highly valued by the employee, you know, again, I think uh, that's that's going to remain in place for quite some time. Yeah, that's a good point. It could be good leverage and bargaining to get a real prize talent during the interview. Hey, you can work from home three, four days a week. Okay, I'm signing up. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know? if, if, if you think about the plight of a working parent, mm. you know, during the pandemic, you know, they got a taste of this flexibility. You know, they were there to be able to help out with the kids in the morning, you know, yeah. or the or the evening, or if you know their kids' daycare got shut down because somebody in the in the daycare got COVID. You know, they were at home, you know, to be able to assist. So I think they tasted that sort of flexibility and they like it. And and I don't think that they're going to be uh you know quick to relinquish that. So a nice work-life balance. Jamie Dimon of uh, JP Morgan in his recent shareholders letter noted that uh, working from home was going to be a continuing occurrence. And he said that maybe 10% of employees going forward would work from home, 40% would have a hybrid arrangement, and then 50% would have to be in the office. I mean, that could all change, of course. He did note that senior managers and top managers needed to be present to show leadership, obviously. But you're right. I mean, it's working from home is not going away. It's here. It's it's the future. 
Yeah, and, and I do believe that those remote employees and also those that are you know, doing the hybrid schedule are, are going to be at a disadvantage in a lot of ways relative to the people who are working full-time in the office. I think that FaceTime, that visibility, that engagement with senior leadership, uh, those people are going to be top of mind uh, when opportunities arise within the company. Hi, I'm Danica Patrick. Watching my nieces grow, play, and learn is amazing, but not every child gets to be carefree. One in six kids in the U.S. are hungry. This breaks my heart, and it's something that Feeding America is working to change. Each year, the Feeding America network of food banks rescues billions of pounds of good food that would have gone to waste and gives it to families in need. To help, visit feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. My guest is Tim Rowley of PeopleCaddy, and we're talking about jobs and his company, which runs an electronic platform that matches up employers with professional workers. I'm your host, John Aidan Byrne. I'm just looking at the most recent unemployment numbers for the US, 3.6% down from 3.8%. I mean just really low unemployment numbers and nearly 90 million Americans were hired in the past 14 months. So there's a great buzz. The labor markets are on fire, they're hot. Uh, the, the labor market is on fire. You know, we, we talked before about that phrase, the great resignation, Yeah. right? You know, so it's not like we have a machine that's, you know, making new workers. Yeah. So you have a situation where people are resigning from job A and they're going to job B. So there's a lot of mobility yeah. in, in, in the current, you know, labor market. But uh, I, to reiterate that point, I don't think you have a huge number of young professionals that are simply retiring or opting out of the, the labor pool. You know, these people are leaving job A because they find a better opportunity somewhere else. But it's a tough time for some bosses. Uh, I know in the fast food uh, services, uh, they're finding it tough to even open their doors five, six, yes. seven days a week. It's tough. Some of them can't open, depending on where they're located. Your company, People Caddy, are, are helping find workers for, for employers. But you, you know, before we sort of talk about People Caddy, there are others in the same space, although you have a different niche and a different twist. I'm thinking of Upwork, Indeed, Monster.com. So tell us about People Caddy and what you do. So there are two publicly traded, you know, digital talent marketplaces uh, that I think are worth mentioning here. Uh, you, you noted Upwork. Yeah. And uh, Upwork is a global marketplace for uh, remote freelance workers and you know typically these remote freelancers are working on uh, I'll say very small short-term you know types of projects you know I need somebody to do a, a marketing slick for me or to put together a presentation or to help me out with the website and so there these projects tend to be measured in you know hours or days Right. And the vast majority of the participants are, you know, small businesses. Right. Similarly, the same could be said for another publicly traded digital talent marketplace named named Fiverr. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, they they compete with Upwork in that remote freelancer space. But you know, the person could be 
sitting on the other side of the planet. They're doing the work from their living room. That person never has to come into you know, the, uh, the buyer's office, yeah. engage with the team, et cetera. Um, what we do, you know, we work primarily for large enterprises and, you know, middle market companies that are looking for independent contractors to work on longer term engagements with them. You know, our typical assignment is roughly six months. And this independent contractor is coming in and they're working as a part of the team, oftentimes it's actually on site, right? So the location of, you know, the independent contractor, you know, matters. Okay. And the, the vast majority of our independent contractors are here in the U.S. You know, we, we also have a presence now in Canada. Uh, but again, we cater to the employers that want a highly skilled professional to work for them on a longer term assignment. And if that person needs to come into the office, you know, then we make sure the person is geographically proximate, you know, or can travel as, as required. What industries do you serve? Uh, all industries. We're industry agnostic, you know, but just about every industry, they need finance and accounting professionals. You know, they need IT, you know, professionals. Uh, you know, they may need some some engineering talent, administrative you know, talent, et cetera. So we service particular verticals, you know, across all you know, industry groups. When was it founded? Uh, how big is it? How many clients have you? What does it cost to sign up to it? Uh, so the company launched in January of uh, 2018. Uh, in the most recent uh, calendar year, which was 2021, uh, we grew by uh, 150%. Uh, so we're, we're growing rapidly. Uh, we have roughly half you know, of the top 20 public accounting firms in the country you know, as, as clients. You know, we also have uh, some other big clients in the hospitality space, for example, Hyatt, you know, is, is a client of, of People Caddy. Uh, so we're, we're growing, you know, as, as rapidly as we can hire, you know, people, you know, yeah. to, to support the growth. But, you know, hiring is a challenge for, for us, right. you know, just like it is for anyone else. You're not giving me actual numbers, but is, have you thousands of clients? No, we have, uh, I'd say only order roughly 100, you know, clients, but that, okay. that number is growing. Okay. You know, pretty pretty rapidly, and we have uh, at, at this point about seventy five thousand you know registered uh, independent contractors, and th and that's also a number that's growing you know, pretty quickly too. So it's a very unique space you're in. It's not like Upwork or Fiverr. It's all that's all remote for the most part. Probably all hundred percent. And and yours, you, you got to be present in the different regions. It continues to grow. Uh, the website is peoplecaddy.com. Is it just a matter of signing up, registering? Uh, the contractors you know, don't have to pay anything to register and create a profile. Uh, employers, you know, our clients, you know, they don't have to uh, pay anything to join the network you know, as well. Uh, the, the only time a client pays anything is if they have uh, a need for an independent contractor and, and we find them someone, you know, that they hire, you know, so there's a, a markup on that independent contractor's time that, that, that we keep. But if, if we don't succeed in finding them the talent that they need, 
uh, there's there's no cost. With social media being so pervasive uh, and everybody networked, it sounds to me searching and finding talent for a group like yours is becoming easier and more efficient. Uh, I, I would say it's becoming uh, more technology intensive. Yeah. In, in that in in the past where you had companies like Robert Half, Kelly, K Force, Adeco, et cetera, you know, with a ton of offices, you know, all over the country, if not all over the world, and just armies of people, you know, in there all day pounding the phones. You know, we now are, are leveraging technology. Yeah. You know, to do a lot of that heavy lifting for us where we have, you know, machine learning, AI, et cetera, you know, that's able to match people up with opportunities far more efficiently. We're all familiar with the concept of headhunting. You hear about an executive being headhunted, um, and it's a pretty arduous and time-consuming task, and it's expensive. But the agent who brings that executive into the organization gets compensated. Um, yeah. You sort of bypass that whole headhunting concept you know at, at the end of the day you know it, it's really a two-sided marketplace mm -hmm. right where you have you know supply on one side of that marketplace and, and that's all the, the the talent right on the other side of the marketplace you have the employers right of the companies and it's really about trying to efficiently connect you know the the supply with the demand historically now you have had these very, in our opinion, inefficient intermediaries, you know, sitting in the middle, right? And and because their work has been so labor intensive, you know, they have to collect these tremendous fees, right? You know, or in the case of contingent labor, you know, they have these gigantic markups, and that limits, you know, how much can be paid, you know, to the employee, and it also makes what the employers have to pay. You know, much if you have a far more efficient intermediary, then that leaves more of the pie, you know, for the employee, you know, while the employers are paying less. Is there a final vetting process, an interview process? Does the employer get a chance? Oh, I want to do a Zoom with this prospective uh, worker. I want to see them come to my office just to, you know, go through a few things. Is, there, is that involved or is it just all completely social media? No, I mean, once we have presented a candidate, you know, to the employer, you know, that we feel is a strong fit, you know, for the role, uh, the employer then still goes through their, you know, interview process, right? So they, they still, uh, in some cases, it may only be one. And in most cases, it's, you know, a couple of rounds of interviews that take place before they extend an offer, you know, to that person. Wow. So you help find qualified candidates. And, and we find them, you know, quicker. Yeah. You know, and we also feel we find better matches. You know, so they're getting a, a better, you know, match in a fraction of the time, you know, and the overall experience is more enjoyable you know, for the employer and the employee. Once we onboard with a client company, uh, we've seen that within three to six months, we typically will become that company's top vendor. I, I want to talk about, Tim Rowley, your background. You served as the Senior Vice President e-commerce in marketing at Bank of America, where you tripled online banking users, taking them from five to 15 million online users. Wow, that's a pretty big accomplishment. Congratulations. You must yeah, have retired after that, or you could have. <laughs> thank, 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 thank you. Um, it, it was, uh, I think, 
uh, a period where banking was going through uh, a seismic change and, and we were trying to aggressively drive the adoption of you know online banking you know ATM usage and, and then subsequently mobile you know banking as, as well uh, so what we attempted to do is to transition people from coming into the banking centers, you know, where they had these very expensive or costly, you know, interactions to being able to do things, you know, quicker and more efficiently online. And we also saw that when people did adopt online banking, you know, their satisfaction level went up, you know, because of this, I'll say self-service capability and the period of time that we tended to retain them as you know, customers of the bank, you know, got longer. So there was a great deal of value created for the bank, you know, but also you wound up with much more satisfied, you know, customers as a function of that. I've asked this off a lot of experts and I'm always kind of curious to get a response. The physical brick and mortar bank branch, where does that stand in all of these changes? I, I don't think that, you know, the, uh, uh, the bank branches will go away. You know, what you will ultimately wind up with is a more highly optimized uh, branch network, you know, where the, the, the people in the branches are free to treat each visit as a sales opportunity, right? So when a, a customer walks into the bank, you know, that's an opportunity to upsell them, to cross-sell them on additional products, services, et cetera. You know, so that visit you know, is an opportunity that they have time to engage in because all of these basic tasks have already been handled, you know, through the automated platform. I've heard uh, similar um, explanations uh, from people in banking that you laid out that the bank branch is not going away, the, the brick and mortar is not going away. It's just going to change. It now may become more of an experience. You have a lot of financial advisors at branches. And as you said, they're upselling or, and some of them are there to do the, the old fashioned stuff, answer basic questions about accounts. People still need that. And, and then there's also sort of a psychological comfort level about having that physical branch it's not a fly by night operation yeah it it, it is a uh, I'll, I'll say a customer acquisition mechanism you know the the research that we did showed that when people were deciding to open an account a checking account or savings account at a bank it was typically a bank that had a branch within a few miles of where they lived really right? wow so, so in, in order to be in that primary considerations that, you know, the, the presence of the branch, even if they don't go into it, the presence of the branch is important. I know young people are all online, but a lot of young people also go to physical branches. Yeah, it, it, there's, there's a comfort level that comes from knowing that that branch is there you know, if you do need to, to pay a visit. They'll evolve to going to the branch maybe in the future will become more of an experience or a different experience. Who knows? Maybe they'll also start serving coffee, have a coffee dock or something interesting like that. No, I, I've, I've gone to a, a, a JP Morgan uh, branch you know, here in, in Houston somewhat recently, and uh, it felt like I got, walked into a Starbucks. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I also check it out when I'm in Houston. What's the future for uh, people, Caddy? Where is it headed? Uh, I, I think that we are on the right side of history. You know, I think the the gig economy is going to you know continue to grow. 
you know, more and more employers, you know, are, you know, leveraging contingent labor. It, it allows them to match up their, you know, uh, cost, you know, with their revenue, you know, much, much better. It allows them to react to changes in the economy where they can right size, you know, their, uh, their employee base, you know, pretty quickly, you know, as, as market conditions, you know, shift. Uh, so I, I think uh, people caddy is poised for uh, not only continued growth, but continued explosive growth over the next few years. I just have one final thought with the whims of the economy, the ups and downs in uh, labor shortages. Right now, it's a, a hot market for employees, but we may inevitably we will uh, have a recession and there will be less jobs out there. Do you still see your company having a role or a different role in that environment? Um, so in, in the, you used the tale of two cities, you know, <laughs> quote there earlier on. So in, in the best of times, you know, companies are hiring contractors uh, because they can't find, you know, the permanent employees that they need. Uh, in the worst of times, they're hiring contractors uh, because they are are afraid to make long-term commitments to to perm employees. So whether it's the best of times or the worst of times, you know, companies are still hiring contractors. This has been just the best of an interview I could ever have. I enjoyed it thoroughly. Tim Riley, thank you for being on my show. All right. Thanks, John. I enjoyed the opportunity. You are listening to Dig Life Deep with John Aiden Byrne. You can reach the host in the U.S. at 973-529-4699. That's 973-529-4699. 973-529-4699. Email burndesk at gmail.com. That's burndesk, B-Y-R-N-E, desk at gmail.com burndesk at gmail.com. Subscribe for free.